Greetings and good day and welcome. Happy New Year. Welcome to the first episode of 2018. My name is Drew Fairservice. This is actually a special solo edition. Uh, not much has been going on, as everyone can tell. So we've had to uh, dig deep. And in, there's no better place to dig deep than into the prospect mine of your Toronto Blue Jays. So that's what I'm going to do this week. I talked to Jeff Paternostro of BaseballPerspectives.com. Talked about the Blue Jays' top 10 list. Talked about Vlad. Talked about Bo. Talked about depth. Talked about all that stuff. We actually had a had a really fun chat, so so check it out. Everyone will be back later on this week with a full episode of Birds All Day. So for now, we're talking kids on on Birds All Day. All right, so here we go. So it is my pleasure at this point, at this moment, to be joined by uh, none other than uh, Jeff Paternastro of of Baseball Prospectus. Uh, sir, how are you today? I'm doing well. Um... I just actually wrapped doing a soccer podcast before this, and I'll be wrapping the bow on the Red Sox list after this. So it just keeps on keeping on this time of year. Uh, two, two, one awful thing and one very good thing. It, it doesn't, there is very little that keeps this podcast from becoming a soccer podcast uh, literally <laughs> every week. Uh, what, can I ask, what, what do you talk about on your soccer podcast? Uh, it's a Sheffield Wednesday podcast. That is my my team of record. So we talk about the the, the goings on in second division English soccer. Not a very good team. Just hired a new manager, uh, Yas Luhukai. From uh, he's a Dutchman that's managed in Germany the last few years for some pretty big teams. Hertha Berlin, uh, I think Stuttgart most recently. Promotion specialists from the Bundesliga too. So we'll see how that goes. They've been very, very dodgy at the back, and he has a reputation for organizing the defense and keeping clean sheets. That, that's I used to. Stoughton and I both used to work with a guy who was a passionate Sheffield United supporter. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we have the Steel City Derby this Friday, and not oh, looking forward to it. That's exciting. He, he, I remember he flew to. Uh, I don't know, was it the FA Cup final, or the League Cup final? They made uh, not you know within like last five or six years, and he flew. They made an they made an FA Cup semi uh, at Wembley a few years back, yeah. Well, or the playoff. It might have been the playoff, and they lost. Like the that happened to them a bunch too. They lost on penalty kicks, I think, most famously in the in the League One playoff final a few years ago before they got promoted uh, last year. I think that was it. But uh, it's so uh, Stoughton is so support is a Dutch like he watches the Dutch league, and I think he supports PSV. They and I support uh, West Ham, so we we're all in the same gang here. We're all looking desperately for someone to, uh, <laughs> to provide answers. Uh, to, which at West Ham there are no answers forthcoming. Uh, they're fine. They're fine. That's what I just keep saying. They're fine. I don't care. Rele- relegation zone at Christmas. They're fine. Speaking of relegation, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays have had a habit of late of the last you know few years of trading very interesting prospects to uh to bolster the big league team uh and the last couple uh years blue jays fans have kind of seen the result of that where the prospect cupboard was a little thin uh this year as you uh explain in your write-up of the blue jays of the 2018 blue jays top 10 prospects uh which of course goes well beyond 10 the jays are now at this point blessed with some very top heavy well not a top heavy list but just two very strong prospects at the top of the list which i think is i think that correct me if i'm wrong in my mind it feels almost separate from like building you know when you want to build depth for the farm you don't necessarily look to having guys of this echelon 
Do you know what I mean? Like these guys are they're they're is, is special the right way to describe having two players who are as can't missy as these guys are? I think that's fair. And it's uh, the, the way the farm system is specifically reshaped. Like last year, there was certainly depth, but that depth is still there, but it's also in like potential major league regulars, mm-hmm. four starters, late inning bullpen arms, a kind of sort of like inventory you need to run any baseball team. Um, and there's different ways to sort of view org rankings. Um, you know, some sources will wait sort of that top end talent, that star talent higher. Some will w- wait depth higher. Um, for me, I'm always going to look for the top end talent to sort of tip the scales in, in one direction or another. Cause I mean, you can go out and get, a uh, Danny Jansen and I like Danny Jansen a lot, but if you need that kind of player, you can go out and get them, uh, relatively cheaply in terms of, of dollars or, you know, player costs and trade. You're not getting Vlad Jr. You're not getting Boba Shett. You're just not. Um, uh, their impact talent. Uh, my colleague Jarrett Seidler wrote an essay at the bottom of this arguing that we can rank Vlad Guerrero as an eight, which is essentially a, a generational talent, elite, uh, franchise changing player. All those wonderful, lovely uh, adjectives that you want attached to your top prospect. And honestly, I don't. No, I I didn't give him an OFP eighty. I think he's an excellent prospect, one of the elite prospects in baseball. Uh, I don't know if the gap between him and Bichette is uh, overstated uh, by them sort of being one and two. I, I wouldn't really make the case for Bichette at number one, but I think in some ways Guerrero benefits more from his uh, paterfamilias than Bichette does, the way we sort of look at baseball players and bloodlines. Because um, Bichette's a year older, sure. Um, but his performance in at the same levels was comparable to Guerrero's. The tools are not that far behind. He's flying out some more defensive value. Um, but anyway, you slice it. This is a is a top two prospect. If it was just a top two list. It would uh, compete with any team in baseball right now. I I think you you've touched on something that that I I, I meant to, I wanted to say. And I'm glad not, not only did you say that about about Bo Bichette, but I feel like, uh, you know, especially something that uh, yourself and and your predecessors and, and people who are in uh, who are in into prospect in the prospect world and in the industry talk about, you know, not all top tens are created equal. So the number seven prospect from I don't know the White Sox right now is not going to be you know is, is has a much higher you know not the same as the number seven prospect from the giant system or whatever, however you want to look at it. But I feel like, you know, as you, the word you used earlier was inventory uh, and, and how, like, I feel like players like, like, like Guerrero and, and Bichette, especially as, as the reports keep coming out about, about Bichette and how less and less kind of doubt about his swing working in the big leagues and whatever, um, they, they almost feel not, like these players are not as much the prospects as like young players coming up. Like they're, they're they're big league caliber players compared to prospects who are the toolsy maybe the toolsy guys who are who you know need to figure some things out and and they're steps away as opposed to just being like a the next natural progression and then there are uh, I think uh, Alexis Brudnicki who you know works for Baseball America and works for the Blue Jays she ter- used the term uh, farmhands like you know the guys who are at the bottom the back end of the 
the the double A roster and the back end of the high A roster. So is maybe that is that an unfair characterization of say like those top really uh, high high talent guys? These are these are big leaguers to be, not guys still putting the pieces together. Well, I think there's always development that needs to happen. If you dropped Vlad Jr. into the majors right now, he would certainly struggle. I mm-hmm. uh, used the phrase "can't miss" earlier, which is obviously a phrase I try to stay away with, mm-hmm. uh, stay away from whenever possible because it can get you a lot of, in a in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. But I think there's certainly less risk in Guerrero and Bichette just because of the sort of the advanced approach and hitting ability we've seen from both of them so far in addition to the sort of sure fit of tools they both have. I think when I say inventory, it, it, it's not a bad thing. The idea is if you have Nate Pearson, Connor Green, Sean Reed Foley, and John Harris, there's a pretty good chance one of them is going to turn into a, a very valuable major league piece. Now, three of them might not for various reasons. You might get a middle reliever in there too or an up-and-down starter. But you need to collect, you know, four, five, six, a dozen of those kind of arms, and you get a couple good major league pieces out of them, and that's fine. That's just sort of the the cost of doing business. Um, Guerrero and Bichette aren't can't miss, but you don't need five of them to find like one and a half hits. Is the thing, um, you know, even if it even if it falls short, so. Maybe Bichette's bat rap, which has been sort of a, a point of consternation with some evaluators, leaves him a little short against upper minors, even major league velocity. So maybe he hits, you know, 270 instead of 290. There's still enough around the rest of the profile that he'll be a very good major leaguer. You know, maybe Guerrero's just hopeless defensively, even at first base. I don't think that happens. But even if it does, even if he's a DH only. The, the bat's so good, um, you don't care. I had a funny conversation with the scouts. So I, I've joked before that one of the reasons the Blue Jays are so improved in our in our org rankings this year is that we just screwed up and underranked Guerrero and Bichette last year. <laughs> so functionally, you know, it was our own. We were actually probably too low on them last year. Um, so Guerrero didn't make our 101. And I joked in a piece I wrote about Sixto Sanchez, the uh, the Hillies pitching prospect, earlier this year, that uh, the epitaph on my grave will be uh, Sixto Sanchez was on various drafts of our 2017-101. I mean, the same can really apply to Guerrero. He was. Um, and, you know, if we had ranked him 92 or whatever, would I feel better? Not really, because functionally the difference between 92 and 102 is, you know, at that point in the list, fairly insignificant. But I was out to out for a beer with a scout uh, after a banged game earlier in the season, or earlier this season, very early in the year. And we got to talking sort of about lists and stuff like that and and philosophy. And he's like, he was giving me crap for not ranking Guerrero. And I'm like, yeah, look, you know, I think he's a very good prospect. You know, we only rank 101 of them. I mean, but he's a first baseman for you, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. He's like, I don't give a shit. It's seven. He's always, so it's like it's seven hits, seven power. He's like, yeah, absolutely. So I think we can get a little. And I know something that I've tried to sort of, you know, work on my second year doing a national list is, do we look too much at sort of these corner players and be like, well, man, you know, they really have to hit like that's just, and just sort of like bake that in to all of them, even if it's someone like Vlad who's like, yeah, I mean, we think he's really going to hit. Um, so. 
we think he's really going to hit. And we have better live reports this year. We've seen him against, uh, you know, full season ball pitchers and sort of in the the routine and the rigmarole of going through a full professional season, you know, traveling for the you know the 140 days or so, and just get sort of a better idea of what he's made of as a prospect. And yeah, I'd, I'm not going to say he's can't miss, but I would be shocked if he misses. I guess I'll put it that way. That makes sense. I, I use the word can't missy. See, I made up a word that gets <laughs> sure. close, but doesn't actually um, uh, implicate you in saying that he's a can't miss. Right. Like, oh, you know, and then you, end up, then you end up writing an article about Brandon Wood five years later that you're just still trying to <laughs> figure well, out what went wrong. Brandon Wood or the one for us, I mean, because when I first sort of came up and came to know the world of baseball beyond the team that's on the field and on TV every day was – it was Travis Snyder, right? Sure. I, so, I, man, I took Travis Snyder in AL only fantasy leagues several years after that was a viable strategy. Oh yeah, and and I mean, I'm still in like a hopeless stand. Like I'm like, this is the year. He's gonna. He's. I'm I, in my mind. He's gonna do the Eric Thames thing. He's gonna go to Korea. He's gonna rediscover his stroke. He'll be bored and and figure out he's got to do a bunch of stuff. And then uh, and then it'll be great. And and that's what's gonna happen in my mind. It's not really gonna happen, but. Uh, but, but that's it. Now, now, of course, obviously, we could sit here, you and I could uh, sit here all day and talk about, uh, about Bobichet and Vlad Guerrero, but we don't want to do that. Anthony Alford is the one that's really, I think he's tricky for, for, for a lot of fans. Is there ever going to be enough bat and enough hitting against high-level pitching? I mean, we see him, he's hitting in Mexico or he's hitting in Australia, and he's, it's, <laughs> he's doing enough to, again, he, he's still up there high. Uh, on a, on a on a deep teams list, but uh, I mean, I'm always I'm just worried about his lack of exposure against against top level pitching and 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 is, are those worries founded? And what when what's his next uh, test? I guess. I mean, I think the issue with Alfred and sort of talking about his lack of exposure to upper level pitching is I think the tools are all there for him to be a very good hitter. I was you know pretty impressed in what I saw for him from him this year. In New Hampshire, like you, you think of him as like you know a two-sport deal guy, spread option quarterback, and you have this sort of image in your head of what kind of baseball player he's going to be. But he's actually like very advanced feel for hitting. The approach is good. He's comfortable using sort of the big part of the park. You know all that stuff. Obviously, the the athleticism there in center is there. The reason he hasn't been exposed to upper level pitching that much is because he can't stay on the field because he keeps getting hurt. And that's sort of the 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 underlying issue here is just is can he play a full season of baseball you know we don't think of it as being rigorous but it is in some ways um and the kind of injuries he's had you know post-concussion issues uh lower body injuries this year it was ham eight it's the kind of things that over time can sap some of those you know those up the middle tools and he's got them to spare um i just think before you really pull the trigger on him like you know, without giving away too much of the of how the sausage gets made, mm-hmm. um, he's going to be on our one-on-one. He's going to be behind guys like Leody Tavares in the Rangers system. Um, you know, I think he's even he's ranked very closely with Taylor Trammell, who's a, who's a similar kind of profile in the Red system. Those are both guys that are enable. Um, on like a, a just a straight tools level, there's not a great center field comp I can think of like really like in the top 20 but that kind of like top 20 center field prospect 
that sort of image you have in your head of whatever that player is. Like he's just not that far off it um, on a tools basis. He can really run. He can go get it in center. He's got good instincts. He can throw. He can hit. There's an approach there. Um, there should be more power there than there is. I think there might be at some point. Um, it's just a very sort of – he doesn't try to really loft the ball or pull the ball that much. He's very, very comfortable going back up the middle. But he's built like a guy that should hit for more power than he has mm-hmm. in his professional career. And then you know, coming off the handmade injury next year, that might uh, – make it a little more difficult to, to sort of suss out. It's just we don't really refer to position players as injury-prone in the same way we do with pitchers, but there are certainly position players that just can't sort of stay on the field given the grind of playing what, for him, you know, a defensively demanding position. You see it sort of with up-the-middle guys, I think, more than maybe your sort of your corner sluggers or base cloggers. And it just sort of takes one year to dispel those issues but it hasn't really happened for him yet and that's just always something that's going to be in the in the back of my mind when i'm ranking him as much as i like the tools there so what, what a question that i've always had and i and i've never been able to figure it out and there are a couple of guys to whom uh, this sort of applies specifically uh connor green and sean reed foley which is where do command improvements come from is there a book these guys read like you know is it about repeatable mechanics <laughs> I'm just. I want. I mean, know. if I had a, if I had an answer for you, I'd have. We wouldn't be having this conversation because I would be embargoed because I'd have a job in baseball. Is the short answer. Uh, the longer answer, by way of a story, um, the easiest, most repeatable mechanics I think I've ever seen in a pitch, and it's probably not the easiest. I could probably come up with a counter example, but certainly one of them um, was Sean Newcomb, who I saw a fair amount in college. He went to college near me. Um, so I probably saw three or four starts his junior year, his draft eligible season. Big lefty, easiest mechanics in the world. Still has never been able to throw strikes consistently. And it's sort of like, well, what do you do? Like, you can't really, the mechanics, like, you can't make the mechanics easier. Mm-hmm. You can't make them more repeatable. They're all very repeatable. You know, Connor Green's an athletic kid. Um, and the deli- there's nothing in the delivery that says it's high effort, that says... You know, you can see a guy sometimes, you know, even just in, in warmups, you're like, uh, this is the command profile here is going to be a problem. You know, you see, see a head whack or, you know, falling off to the first base or third base side, he's a righty or a lefty. There's really not anything in, in green or Reed Foley's, you know, mechanics or delivery that says this guy is not going to be able to repeat this release point. He's not going to be able to repeat the other parts of the delivery, but they haven't. Is is this that they just haven't? Mm-hmm. And for some guys, it just never gets there. Um, I'm not a pitching coach by any stretch of the imagination, um, and I try to sort of stay away from diagnosing these things. I mean, you really just you know, you don't want to be the dude in Sean Doolittle's wife's mentions, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be that guy for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, my job is really to sort of like report what I see and, and I project what I can. And, you know, there's no reason to think these guys can't make command improvements here and there on the margins. But you don't. <laughs> uh, my colleague, Jerick Seidler, and I have sort of a running running joke that's like, well, you know, there's 
100, 200 pitching prospects that are, you know, a great jump of command away from being impact starters. It's just very few of them make it. And, mm-hmm. you know, figuring out the why of it is, I think, you know, even beyond a mystery to us, I think it's a mystery to a lot of people in baseball. Or if they'd be able, uh, you know, there are some teams that replicate it better than others. You know, the Mets under Dan Worthen were, in addition to sort of his famous slider, were regarded for getting, you know, command jumps out of their pitchers at the major league level too. But even, you know, even that can fall short. They certainly had some fairly high profile misses uh, on that in his sort of later on in his tenure. And the easy thing to say is, well, you know, it doesn't really matter if they're only throwing an inning or two, just put them in the bullpen. That seems to be the the go-to. These Obviously the, the game is changing, but Anybody who who throws hard and has like a big hook, it's like, well, maybe he'll be like Dylan Batances, which maybe I don't. You don't hear that on from from your part of the industry. Maybe more like the 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 call in radio show side of the industry, which I think to think that we straddle, uh, we straddle that world. Um, now uh, we'll I'll do we'll do one more. We'll look at one more name, then I'll let you get out of here. We don't need to uh, to bother you too much, and that's Nate Pearson. Uh, a guy who who does get high marks for his command um, and does throw uh, really fucking hard, which is um, always nice to see. Triple digits on the on the radar gun is never going to um, never going to make anybody uh, upset. But I mean, what kind of what kind of um, progression is is likely for a guy like him? I mean, is this is this what we would classify as like a kind of mature arm again we talk about he's a big dude and he's he's got uh uh you know whatever durability and projectability on him so can we see him getting to you know i mean this will be his first year of full season ball if i if i'm not if i'm not correct so is, is this somebody that that has a lot of a chance to have a lot of helium a lot of chance a lot to move really quickly or is this maybe the, the kind of player who's worth taking their time with so uh one of our writers steve guyvar's uh, lives in Florida and saw him a fair amount this year and absolutely loves him. Was like pest, you know, pushing him to me for the draft mm-hmm. repeatedly in GChat. Um, and there's obviously a lot to like there. And he's a guy that could absolutely move fast. You know, he's a Juco guy. So you think, eh, you know, sometimes those guys take a, take a little bit more secure this route, but this stuff's so good. He's ready for, he's ready for full season ball. They could even push him to Dunedin if they really wanted to. Um, you know, some of that will come out to how he looks in spring training, how they want to manage his in- innings, where they have innings available generally. But he's a guy that can really sort of set his own timetable. Um, you know, like you said, covered a big body, big fastball, you know, more stuff there. He's not just, uh, you know, sometimes you get these Juco first round guys that are just, you know, 100 miles an hour. And you still take that guy because it's 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. But he's got a little bit more in the in, in the arsenal. You know, it's a potential plus curve. He's got some feel for the change and not in the way we just say like everybody has feel for the change coming out of the draft because nobody really needs a change up in high school and college. There's actually a legitimate change up in there. Um, and with him, it's just, you know, there's some durability questions. There's some delivery questions. There's some medical questions, um, you know, and it's, is he really, is he really 98 as a starter? Cause just most guys aren't 98 as a starter, especially once they start getting into into the professional en- environment where they're pitching every five or six days, you know, there's just you know, the list there is basically like Alex Reyes and and Michael Kopech. We still don't even really know if they're 98 as a starter because for the most part they're 
you know, throwing five or six innings over 28 starts. And that's not really a, a major league workload. You know, it might be something closer to a major league workload as we go forward. Um, I, I think you're going to see some changes in the way we handle starting pitching. You're already starting to see it around baseball. Teams talking about six-man rotations or piggybacking or, you know, expanding the the bullpen with multi uh, multiple multi-inning relievers. Um, you know, you could see uh, Colorado do something like that this year, and they have the sort of the ideal starting rotation to do it. It's got it's a lot of guys like Nate, Nate Pearson. You know, you know, young starters with durability questions. Um, and you know, can you do that for 162 games? I don't know, but I think within the next few years, you're gonna see a team try to find out. And you know, that might make Pearson even more valuable than he is because you can make him a one inning reliever tomorrow you know, take the shackles off mm-hmm. and he could be in the Toronto Blue Jays pen by September, but, and be very good at it. Now that's might be more valuable than developing him as a starter, you know, getting him up to the majors and finding out that, well, he's really only in the mid nineties, mm-hmm. you know, the command falters and, but we gotta, you know, we gotta get our 90 to hundred pitches out of him. We gotta get six or seven innings and, you know, all of a sudden he's a four and a half ERA guy because he's given up that, you know, this is overly prescriptive, but, you know, he's given up that extra run or even those base runners on base at the bullpen lets in. Instead of just saying, no, we think he can go through the lineup twice, you know, or we think he is really good for 75 pitches. We're just going to throw him four innings. And there gets into, you know, Players don't love that because uh, agents don't love that because, you know, arbitra- arbiters don't love that. There's really no way to measure it and, it, and it costs them money. And, like, they want to be starting pitchers because they've always been starting pitchers. You know, you know, that's what they're sort of geared for. Mm-hmm. But I think if you tell a guy, it's like, you know, you're going four innings, max out. Um, you can actually get a lot of value out of, you know, these kind of guys. Now, not necessarily saying Pearson's absolutely going to be that kind of pitcher, but... There's certainly guys that that fit that mold that aren't being used properly or optimally, I'll say. Um, and there's no real and it's in a lot of ways it's how they're using the minors. These guys are only throwing five or six innings at the most. They're only throwing every sixth day, and we expect them to you know come into the majors and essentially you know make 32 starts and 210 innings and be just as effective as they were on a on a on a shorter schedule and not really ever building to that. Um, you know, I, we've basically wiped out what I would consider abusive pitch counts, abusive pitcher usage, at least on the professional level mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, outside of, I think the last time someone threw 140, the last 140 pitch out is like Edwin Jackson's ridiculous no hitter. And like when Levon Hernandez was still pitching basically, um, so you just don't see that anymore. You don't really even see guys throwing like 110, 120 back to back. Like everybody knows this. I think there are certainly pitchers that can handle throwing 110, 120 back to back. You know, Justin Verlander. Yeah, you know, we know this. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard one knowledge for a lot of these guys in some cases. But I'm I'm very curious. It really affects the way I do my job. Um, the two things I've noticed the most doing the list this year is it's really hard to tell what pitchers are starters. We don't really see them really starting in the way they'll start in the majors. And the other thing is I don't know what to do with guys that have bench projections because the benches just keep getting shorter and shorter. 
like there's no room for even like the first base third base guy that can't play corner outfield anymore marwin gonzalez right that's that's like the treat of the yeah. week everyone wants to can you play shortstop and hit and play left field and maybe play right and maybe play center yeah i mean something interesting that the rangers are doing is they're having all these sort of like role for utility types learn catcher so you'll see like catcher shortstop left field on their like baseball reference you know standard fielding page or whatever um because you know if you can catch even if you're in catching carrying a third catcher and they're catching one or two days a week you know the cubs functionally do this in some ways with uh wilson Contreras. i mean he's more of a full-time catcher mm-hmm. um you know the, you might see the phillies try it this year with carlos santana just to keep Reese Hoskins from having to play left field every single day because that may not go well for them. It's just, it's getting, you know, like what, what I do is I put these guys into boxes, essentially. You know, I'm giving them roles, but I'm also giving them sort of like, I, you know, what's the major league role that this looks like? Is he a, you know, like the everyday guys is easy. If he's an everyday shortstop, he's an everyday shortstop. Fine. That, that hasn't changed and won't change for the foreseeable future. If he's a number two starter, okay, he's a number two starter. That won't change for the foreseeable future. But these sort of get where it gets interesting to me and sort of where it gets squishier is sort of on fringes. You know, you're more of your utility players. Um, your catchers that aren't going to stick at catchers but have some athleticism. You know, it, you're on the fence starter reliever types, um, but not like your true relievers. Like there are some guys that are starting now that just aren't going to start in the majors they're, they're going to be bullpen arms they should probably should be bullpen arms then there's guys where it's like we don't really have a role that fits for them i mean i remember the story when uh tim lincecum was first coming up and nobody really could thought he thought he could handle a, a major league starters workload there's a lot of talk about like oh bringing back like the mike marshall style reliever mm-hmm. you know 65 outings and 140 innings or something like that um in some ways, we've actually gotten less creative, I think, as a as a sport, you know, since that era, since the 80s and early 90s, just uh, whether it was sort of the offensive explosion that came post-strike that sort of you sort of broke that out of the game. It's, I, it's just harder to find interesting, creative roles for guys that can certainly have a major league contribution, but, you know aren't going to be the second lefty in your pen, which is sort of like a new role that exists or, you know, isn't like you said, sort of the, the five way that you used to have your utility infielder that could play shortstop and utility infielder that couldn't play shortstop. Now you have to have your utility guy that can play shortstop, third base, first base, couple corner outfields or spots. And maybe he's your third catcher too. Cause you're only carrying three bench pieces. Cause you need that second lefty and you need four right-handed relievers and you need your multi-inning guy. And, you know, it's just, it doesn't, the minor leagues don't really replicate the major league game all that well right now. And I think it makes sort of evaluation, especially at the fringes of these lists, a little bit more difficult. Uh, it seems like the role the Blue Jays are are grooming uh, uh, Lourdes Gurriel for. That's even a little bit more traditional. And it's like the guy that may not hit quite enough to be a regular, but has some offensive value and has some defensive flexibility. Um, you know, I wouldn't have been shocked if they gave him a shot to win the uh, third base job before they traded for Solarte mm-hmm. or some sort of infield spot before that happened. But that's probably going to, you know, limit his path uh, to regular playing time, at least for the, in the, in the near term. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's offensive flexibility, offensive value. Like that, I, you can you can handle that profile. I think that's never really going to change because, you know, the guys that sort of have that built in, like the. <laughs> We're not getting to the point where we're comp. We, there was a period of time, I think, probably two years ago, where guys like that would always get comp to Ben Zobrist. Like, oh, maybe he's an ex Ben Zobrist. Um, and you know, but, you know, Ben Zobrist's particular skill was that he was very good defensively at, at multiple positions. But sort of the there's the very famous Hubie Brooks entry from uh, the last Bill James historical abstract, where it's sort of like, yeah, he can. There, there's value if you can turn a F into a C plus on any given day at various positions where you need to sort of fill a hole and Gurriel's not going to kill you if he has to start for a month because two of your guys are on the DL, but it's not something you maybe go into April 1st as your plan A. Yeah, he's, he's, he's not the guy you're like, we got to find a way to get him 350 at bats. Otherwise, we're like, you know, we're, we're just totally blowing it. It's if he gets 350 at bats... Well, you could be worse. Right? I mean, I I absolutely think when they gave him twenty two million, thought he was going to hit more than he did. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. So there's probably some some disappointment inherent there. But you know, it's not to say you can't still get major league value out of him. I think they absolutely will. Awesome. All right. Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time. Of course, you can read the full list uh, at baseballperspectus.com if you haven't. Uh, signed up. I cannot recommend it, recommend it highly enough. You get the full in-depth scouting reports. You get the, the, the weekly. You get the 101. You get the mid-season 101. You get all the stuff that, uh, that Jeff loves to do. He loves yeah, I love lists. He loves lists. He loves categories. People love he lists. Tears. I love lists. He's a real yeah. tears guy. It really comes out. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much. Anything else you want to plug? Where can they listen, listen to uh, you talk about Sheffield Wednesday of all fucking things? <laughs> So I do two podcasts now for some reason. Um, I host the BP Mets podcast for all you kids out there. Uh, you can find that on iTunes, of course. I also host, host the Owls AmeriCast, which is a, a Sheffield Wednesday podcast with me, a couple Americans, a couple expats um, that we do every week as well, sort of going over the recent results, news. Um, we do various interviews with other Wednesday fans, sort of figure out how they came to root for this Random. I don't want to say random stuff here. How they, whatever the path took them to root for this sort of, I guess, unusual pick for a American. Um, you know, preview the upcoming matches, stuff like that. That is, of course, also on iTunes. Um, the Baseball Prospectus Annual. I should probably plug that because I just went to the printer this morning. You can pre-order it on Amazon. I think the publication date right now is listed at February 9th. That usually comes out a a week or two before the actual. Uh, initial listed Amazon date. And that will have uh, the full BP 101 with comments on the players, as well as, you know, the full 30 team lists, all the player capsules, code of projections, essays, the, you know, whatever, everything that goes into making the gigantic 1000 page tome every year. Um, and if you want to listen or read me microblogging, I guess that's what we call it uh, about do we? <laughs> Prospects. Yeah, I don't know. It's a message board to me. But anyway, if you, you want to follow me on Twitter, essentially what I'm saying, uh, you can do so at Jeff Paternostro. All right. Awesome. That's, uh, again, thanks again. And uh, follow Jeff. Follow Jeff on Twitter and, and read him at BP. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Drew Groff. Uh, we'll be back later this week with a full 
episode, fuller episode of uh, Birds All Day, uh, and to, with Stoughton, of course, uh, to talk about, I don't know, the rest of the stuff. Uh, but until that time, my name is Drew Fairservice. We'll talk to you next time on Birds All Day. <laughs>